0: Hi folks, welcome to the latest episode uh, in the Culloden Home Bible Study Podcast. Um, the School of Christ, um, we're on study number five. And we're going to be thinking about the comfort, a lesson on overcoming the world. You'll see how the Lord Jesus finishes this, this chapter, chapter 16 of, of John, with these words. Um, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world that's a quotation from the uh, English Standard Version. Um, coming back to the study itself, um, well, that was a few weeks ago. So, my apologies, it has been so long uh, since we have actually uh, had the study before the podcast is coming out. You do know, of course, that you can email uh, and Williamson01 uh, at yahoo.co.uk if you want to have the um, sort of PDF notes version of this um study or um you can listen in and we'll cover most of the material in the next um 20 minutes half an hour or so now um in looking at this subject uh, we've 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 had the privilege of sitting as it were at the feet of the Lord Jesus just on the night before he would go out to the cross it's dark outside. We thought of that uh, last last podcast. Um, in chapter fifteen, he's probably on the journey now to the Garden of Gethsemane. You'll you'll notice the end of fourteen. He said to them, "Rise, let us be going." Um, and chapter fifteen and sixteen, it would seem, are on the way. That 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 we, um, that these were probably spoken. Now. Uh, in saying all that, um, our focus now is going to be on the idea of what does the Lord want to communicate to his disciples the very last words that he's wanting to say to them as a, as a group before the cross. Uh, and I think that's really what comes out in chapter number 16. And we're going to see in the first little section of chapter 16, I'm going to say verse 1 to 4 here. Um, we have the son's dependable words he'll tell us about his words and how dependable they are and he'll show it to us in a very remarkable way then from 16 verse 4 to verse number 15 he's going to focus on the, the spirit the holy spirit who will be with us in his absence when he is away from us when he's in heaven in uh, at a, at a, at a physical in a personal way when he's away he will send his spirit uh, the spirit of God to dwell within us as we've already been noticing and he will be doing an essential work so if we have the son's dependable words in the first section then we have the spirit's essential work from verse 4 uh, to verse number 15 then from verse 16 to verse 24 we're going to see the the resurrection's lasting impact he's going to speak about a little while in a little while the disciples will get a bit confused by the terms and the the words that are used so he'll explain it in a bit more detail and he'll speak about a joy that they will have that will never leave them and then finally from verse 25 to 33 of chapter 16 he's going to focus in on the father's personal love for his people uh, for the lord's own disciples um, that's really going to come across in that last little section And the son's victory, his ultimate victory. He has overcome the world, he says to them, in light of the cross. Now we look at the cross and think, is that a defeat? Of course it's not. Not when you look at it the way the Lord is looking at it. And so we are going to have to readjust our thinking from perhaps the way we think about things. And the way the world thinks about things. uh, To how the Lord thinks about them. Uh, And so as we look at this together, I trust you will be blessed uh, with me as we study chapter 16 for the next short while together but first of all we're going to just commend ourselves to the Lord in prayer. Father we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus and we just thank you for uh, the, the, the wonderful truth that is given to us in this chapter of your word and we just pray that as we look at it together that we all might receive a blessing from the Lord and um, we pray that we might be able to hold on to these real fundamentals that come out during the the this chapter. And we pray, our Father, that each one of us, whoever listens to this podcast, might be able to understand something more of your word and something more of your ways. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus, your beloved Son. Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at chapter 16 uh, by breaking it down and I'm going to read just each section as we come to it so that we'll maybe get the continuity of thought. So first of all we'll read verse 1 to verse 4 of chapter 16 reading from the New uh, King James Version. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogue. Yes, the time is coming when whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they do not know the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Okay, so just at the end of the previous chapter, we have had this idea of the world's hatred of the believer. It's really come out to the four verse number 16. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And the Lord Jesus is beginning to speak to them about the hatred of the world. Uh, And yet he's going to show to them... That he is telling them beforehand, so that they might not stumble. That's what we read in verse number one. He's giving them directly, um, a little bit of prophetic knowledge. Um, he is telling them what is going to happen. Uh, at the start of verse, uh, chapter sixteen, he says they'll they'll take you out of the synagogues. They'll they they'll they'll kill you. They'll think they're offering God's service. Uh, when they do that and so on and so the Lord Jesus is is actually showing to us how dependable his words are and showing particularly to this group of disciples you think about it you think if you were Stephen or something like that uh, just a a decade or so later later perhaps and he's standing up and he's perhaps remembering the words of the Lord Jesus as told to him by some of the other apostles or maybe even John. He was perhaps a friend of John, and 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 he's looking at this, and he's thinking of this man in front of him, Saul of Tarsus. Uh, and 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 he's this man who's so embittered against uh, Jesus of Nazareth, and he thinks he's offering God's service as he not only puts these people out of synagogues, but 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 actually kills them. And as he 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 eggs these people on to. To, to kill uh, Stephen himself. You, you can imagine how much comfort Stephen could have drawn from these words that the Lord Jesus said, this is the way things were going to be. Now I've often used the illustration of a map. The wonderful thing about the, the revelation of the Bible is that it's, it fits with the reality that we see around us. you know we, we see the beauties of design, for instance, the design and the creation of the world um, we see that clearly evidence we also see the horrible effects of something that has gone wrong catastrophically the fall we know about it as in, in theology in, in the bible and so these big things we look at them and it tells to us that we're not off course um, we don't have to argue or explain away the world that we live in it fits uh, other things like the reality of love well, it tells us that there's something more than the physical, that there is the metaphysical, as some people term it, or um, just the, the spiritual world, the spiritual realm, uh, if you just use that in a more general sense. I'm only giving you those as examples, because what the Lord is doing here is he's actually saying, listen, when this comes to pass, it will show you that what I'm saying is true. These things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. Or that you should not stumble uh, to keep you um the ESV has from falling away. You see, that seems a bit strange. Uh, I think the first question I asked was, um how would learning about the world's hatred, end of chapter fifteen and the start of chapter sixteen, galvanize them? How would it how would it stop them from falling away? How would it stop them from stumbling? Well, there's perhaps a number of reasons that 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 would be so. Um, There's the obvious reason that if you know something is just coming up, you can brace yourself and you can adjust your mind. And in, in terms of being a Christian, you can pray about it. You can prepare for it. And so there's a sense in which now that they know that they're not just going to waltz into the kingdom and, and be at the right hand and left hand of the Lord. And, and the, the pathway, first of all, would be through suffering, as, as Paul brings out very clearly in his ministry as well, because that is the case. Um, you can prepare and adjust your mind and adjust your ex- expectations as well to, to coincide with that. Through much suffering you'll enter the kingdom Paul would preach uh, to the newly converted uh, Thessalonians. Uh, he would tell them that these were the kind of things that they could expect. They could expect suffering and, and persecution and difficulty and, and because that was the world that they're living in, the world that had denied the Lord Jesus had put him to death and so on. Uh, so I think one of the things is very clear in answer to the question how, how would learning about the world hit, hit, galvanise them is just the thought that it would enable them to prepare for what was coming. But of course it would also show that they were inside the purpose of God. You're reading a book and you're, you're reading through the pages um, you come to a part in the book where everything's out of kilter that's that's the way stories go you know you don't just generally have a story that says something like this Peter Peter met Sally they fell in love they had a lovely life the end it was something like Peter met Sally they didn't see IT eye, eye in fact Peter thought Sally was like this and Sally thought Peter was like this. Everything was out of order. Then eventually everything fell into place and they fell in love and they lived happily ever after. You see, one's a story, one's just a statement. A story involves things being out of kilter and we're in the middle of God's story. The the big story, the story of reality. And so here we have um it, it brought before us at this point that we're We're in a scenario where things are still out of kilter. We're in the middle of the book. We're in the middle of a storybook. We're not at the end. Because at the end, things resolve. God has told us the end as well. He's told us there's a time coming when we'll be with him and enjoy him forever. And, of course, the Lord Jesus has told his people that as well. He says, I give unto my sheep eternal life. They'll never perish. He he has told them in chapter 14 that he's going to prepare a place for them. That the end... Is, is assured everything's going to work out all right in the end but before they get there they're going through this time of stumbling and or this time of, of, of suffering I should say uh, but it's all in the overarching purpose of God you don't panic in the middle of the book and say oh no I'm not going to read the rest of the book you know that something's going to go right later on and so it's really important the Lord's dependable words um come to the fore here. He's saying, listen, you're going to uh suffer. People are going to put you out of synagogues. Time comes when whoever kills you thinks he offers God service. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. In other words, we're living in a world that has not recognized the Father or the Son for who they are, in fact has purposely rejected them. Now that doesn't mean every individual is just set and bent on hating Christians. You shouldn't go about with a persecution complex. You shouldn't say that every time someone looks at you the wrong way that you're being persecuted because things are going horribly wrong in your life uh, because someone, for instance, uh, said something bad to you. It's more specific than that in the sense that when the Lord Jesus speaks about the world, He's speaking about the whole big world system. Headed up by the ruler of the world. We'll come across him later on. The devil. And it, it it influences and controls the minds of many people in the world. It It sets the agenda for the way the world is working. It's why if you look across the whole of the world. Christians are persecuted nearly in every country. And so. That's the just the way things are, because they haven't known the father nor me. But I say these things to you, verse number four. <coughs> that when the time comes, you may remember that I told them, told you of them. So in other words, you can you can remember this. I told you it was going to happen, and it will therefore give you confidence in what I had to say. He's already done this, of course, earlier on with Judas in chapter number um. 13 and 14 and so we see the Lord doing this again and again he is predicting what's going to happen in the future and he is giving us therefore assurance that his words are true and valid and worthwhile uh, to be dependent on in that sense so we have in this first section the son's dependable words then we move down to the second section verse number four uh, to 15 I'll just read uh, from, from the from verse number, well, well, we'll read from verse five. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper or the comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin or concerning sin, Because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because they go to my Father and you see me no more. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare to you all things that the Father uh, has are mine. Therefore, I say that he will take of mine and declare to you. There's a beautiful uh, harmony in the and uh, unity in the Trinity. Um, there is one God, and um, we affirm that and adhere to it just as much as we adhere to the fact that there are three persons, personalities in the Godhead. Um. So. This really comes out in this little section. There's, there's communion and fellowship and perfect communion. So that the words of the Spirit are the words of Christ. The words of, of Christ are the words of the Father. The, the Father speaks, as it were, to the Spirit, to Christ. And they are relayed. And we'll see that throughout John's Gospel. But coming down to what this section is all about. It's really dealing with the, the Spirit's essential work. I go away to, to him who sent me, he says in verse 5. <clears throat> and none of you ask me, where are you going? And you, you'll you be triggering back in your mind to chapter 13 and 36, where where, Peter does say this. He says, where are you going? And uh, chapter 14 and verse 5, perhaps, uh, there's a sense in which Thomas is at least implying something similar. Um, but what the Lord is saying um, and what he is emphasising um is that you're not interested in where I am going. Uh, Where are you going? You're more interested in your loss rather than my gain. But I've said these things and sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if you do not go away, the, the Comforter will not come. To you, you see the lord jesus the the Holy Spirit, as we have spoken of before in this series, the Holy Spirit is was awaiting the exaltation of the Lord Jesus to God's right hand, the other side of the work of the cross for him to indwell the believers and um, that involved the cross work of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and the ascension of Christ, and upon his ascension he will send him to you. Uh, The Father will send him and Christ will send him. And when he has come, notice this, we're going to see the twofold work of the Spirit. This really uh, is tremendous. Just to stop for a minute and think about it. The Lord Jesus has just said, it's to your advantage that I'm not with you. It's really for your good that I'm going away. And you think, high on earth, here they were, with the Lord Jesus personally present among them to sort out their issues and so on. But so great it would be to be indwelt by the Spirit of God, to have him indwelling each and every one of them, guiding them and guarding them and keeping them and leading them into truth and, and helping them to witness to other people. All these things um, were wonderful things and so much so that it would be to their advantage for the Lord Jesus to go uh, to heaven and to send his spirit into their uh, very beings and so that is is tremendous in its own right but then we have something else that is tremendous because the 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 the, the spirit's work is twofold he's spoken of here as a comforter a paraclete one who comes alongside he is a helper uh the the new king james says a helper but you'll notice that he comes to convict, the world. That's a word we come across a few other times, in, um, in John's Gospels. Yeah, in John's Gospel. Um, but we're just going to focus on this one at the minute. It's the thought of of convicting, uh, setting forth a legal, uh, conviction or 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 condemnation, and obviously this will have an effect on those that that listen. Uh, to it when he has come he will convict the world of sin of righteousness and of judgment now it's interesting this word of probably could be better translated um. concerning it's the word peri actually it's the word that we use for perimeter uh, things around this subject You know, around the subject of sin and of righteousness and of judgment so And he's going to then expand this in the next little bit. We'll come back to that in a second. But notice this, first of all, that he is here to do a work with the world. um, A work of witnessing, of bearing testimony. And you see at the end of chapter 15, of course, he has told them that they have a responsibility to witness. And so now they have the paraclete, the one who draws alongside, and he's coming to help them in this witness to witness to the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and so on. But then, of course, uh, we have another thing. We have in verse number uh, 13, when he, the Spirit of Truth, you notice the change in, in, in title, the same person of the Godhead, uh, but he's not seen as the one drawing alongside to to aid and assist in the witness, but rather the Spirit of Truth who will guide into all truth, and so we have not only his the idea of him witnessing but of him revealing the truth, not only testifying but uh unfolding uh, the truth to us uh, to the disciples uh, particularly first first century apostles that 's what led to the scriptures that we have today in our hands, but by extension because he dwells with us until the end of the church age. Uh, and in us until the end of the tor- church age by extension the work that he does in our hearts helping us to understand the scriptures and lay hold of them in this remarkable way so we see the Spirit's really essential work that he does now for us now let's just focus in on this idea of um, sin, righteousness and judgment to come you see the w- the world has a wrong concept of those three things it, it it thinks that sin is not that important it certainly wouldn't think that just because you don't believe in Christ that that somehow you makes you a bad person that that's kind of outside of its remit of thinking uh, righteousness it kind of has a faulty view of that as well'll we we'll think about that and and also judgment if they believe in it. They kind of think it will be everybody else that's judged. Uh, we, we'll escape. And so so what the Spirit of God does in convicting the world of sin, uh, concerning sin and concerning righteousness uh, and concerning the judgment of God, uh, sorry, judgment, he adjusts their thinking with regard to those three things. Let's look at verse number nine. He will convict the world, concerning sin because they do not believe in me you see underlying every sin is an element of unbelief unbelief in the revelation of God and now that revelation of God has become very focused you know in the old testament um God had not revealed himself so fully as he has today he has now revealed himself fully in the son of his love he has sent his son into this world and to not believe in him, to not trust in him, is in essence the very heart, the centre of the problem of sin. Um, sin at the beginning, Genesis 3, the very root of sin, was an, an unbelief. They did not trust God, they trusted the devil. Uh, and so here we have this deep condemnation that comes with a refusal to believe the son and that if someone's to sit and appreciate that God has sent his son into this world and this world has refused to believe and they refuse to believe all that God is doing they have to understand and it's the Spirit's work to do this they have to be convicted of the fact that that is Sin, the very essence of sin. Now we we read in First John that sin is lawlessness. You see, what happens is that the reason for the unbelief in heart and the reason for it all is because man seeks to be independent of and rebellious against God. But essentially, at the at the heart of this here of sin, because they do not believe in me. You remember in John chapter nine, I think it was, um, at the end. Uh, of John uh, chapter 9 the the Pharisees and the, the others who were there at that time they they were asking the Lord are we really blind? are we blind? and the Lord Jesus replies to them you see they had thrown out the blind man for giving testimony to the Lord Jesus um, after he'd been healed they threw him out of the synagogue and, and are we really blind? Um, Jesus said to him if you were blind you'd have no guilt but now you say we see so your guilt remains your guilt remains and really what the issue was here their sin was remaining and they weren't facing up to the fact because they were not accepting of Christ and so that sin has to be exposed and the work of the spirit in the life of the unbeliever and in the life of any who will respond to him is to expose unbelief in christ as sin in its most rotten element uh, sec- secondly of righteousness a faulty view of righteousness and you see the world has a kind of idea of righteousness it actually you remember the world convicted the lord jesus they twisted the words in the, the mouth of w- false witnesses. They said he was a blasphemer. And they said in effect that he was a horrible sinner. and um, They said he was unrighteous. But now the work of the Spirit is to convict people of the untruth of that. Again, in relation to the person of Christ, because Christ is the touchstone. Because I go, I go my way, actually, the four says, to my Father, and you see me no more. Now, this is very interesting in its own right, because there's, there's so many things can be unpacked from this. Um, the Lord Jesus is saying, listen, the world has rejected me. I'm going my way to the Father. um and you, the the believers, it would seem, it could be speaking generally of the world, but you, see me no more. What does he mean by this? Well, <clears throat> they have a faulty idea about righteousness, um, and as a result of that, faulty idea about righteousness, they're not seeing clearly, even about their own sin. And if they have an adjustment with regard to the fact that this one who was the perfectly righteous one, the just one, as he's spoken off in in Acts chapter 3, the just one, you condemn the holy one and the just one. If they could just see that in the life of Christ, that he was the righteous one and now he's gone away, it would convict them of their own unrighteousness. Because he's going to his father. And once they recognise that he's actually gone back to a place where he's accepted. And the world has rejected him. it, It would cause this conviction of their own unrighteousness. And of his righteousness. You'll remember we indeed justly. We're getting what we deserve. But this man has done nothing amiss. What is happening in a sense. In an Old Testament sense of course. The work of God is beginning in the heart of this man why he is realizing his own sin and he's realizing something about the righteous character of the Lord Jesus of course then we have uh, a conviction of sin of righteousness and concerning judgment now it doesn't say judgment to come we usually misquote that from another passage Here it says, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, the Lord Jesus is here speaking about what is happening the day after. When he goes to the cross and on the cross, he's told us in chapter 12, that he is going to judge, uh, through his work he's going to judge and execute judgment on the ruler of the age, of the world, sorry, the whole world system, the devil. And so they thought they were judging him. And casting him out. And really it was judgment upon their leader. It was judgment upon the ruler of this world. And if they can understand that. By the help of the Spirit of God. Um, by his convicting power. They will realize their inevitable condemnation. If the ruler is being judged. The whole of the world's system will one day come under that judgment. And that should have them seek for refuge in Christ. Uh, and so uh, once there's an understanding that the, the head has been judged by the Lord Jesus um, himself and his work, uh, then there can be the change um, of sights, change of sides from the world to Christ uh, and so on and so so the, there's a great comfort in that for an unbeliever to find out that the one who holds him prey as it were holds him captive has been judged at the cross and therefore the cross is a place of liberty for those who will come but it is also the place of sentencing for those who will refuse there's a there's a hymn and it goes something like this that to look at the cross of christ is a saving Or sentencing sight. And that's true of the two thieves isn't it? One on each side of the Lord Jesus. One he looks. He acknowledges his sin. He acknowledges the righteousness of Christ. He realises he's facing judgement. And he flees to the, the man on the middle cross. The other man continues on his way. And so I think that's what we have in this little section. It's a complex little part of the scriptures but I hope it helps in some way. He then goes on and speaks about uh, the guide, being guided into all the truth of work obviously perfectly seen in, in the completion of the canon of scripture and um, he will not speak on his own authority but ever he hears he speaks as the lord says that himself the lord jesus said that, that he heard whatever he 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 spoke the words of god that he that that god showed him the works before he did the works And we see the same thing with regard to the Spirit of God. Um, He will glorify me and take what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I say he will take it and declare it unto you. We must move on for the sake of, of time. So the Spirit's essential work. Then we have the resurrection's lasting impact from verse number 16 to 24. We'll just read that section now. A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while, you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, Therefore, what is this that he says? A little while, we do not know what he's saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, um, and he said, to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I say, A little while you do not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Most assuredly I say to you, that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrow, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman when she is in labor has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she's given birth to the child she no longer remembers anguish. For joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart uh, will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Okay, so <clears throat> just to sum up most of our rest of our, our thoughts here um in this section the, the the resurrection's lasting impact is another major topic um it, it's perhaps worth noticing um this problem of a little while they they were they were kind of puzzled the, the Lord's saying a little while this and then a little while that it's all confusing to them i mean this they've just heard this it's fresh um out of the mouth of the lord the lord hasn't told them this before Uh, They're just not getting it. And the Lord Jesus knew they, they, they desired to ask him this. They say, are you inquiring among yourselves? A little while you'll not see me. And again, you will see me. And then he says, listen, I say to you, you'll weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. In other words, there'll be a short time of awful pain. And that pain will give birth to something wonderful it will give birth to joy in fact i'm using the expression give birth because look at verse 21 a woman when she's in labor they she has sorrow because her hour has come but as soon as she gives birth to the child she doesn't remember the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world now my wife um lindsay she she i remember after isaac was born my firstborn When he was born, I remember Lindsay turning to me about a a day or two after and saying, oh, it's awful that it'll have to be our last child. (laughs) Well, that didn't last long. You see, the pain, uh, you soon forget the pain because the pain leads to a joy. It's a purposeful pain. It leads to a joy. And what the Lord is is saying here in this uh, little section is that there's a purpose and a prospect that gets you through that little while. Um, and and that's what happened uh, with regard to these disciples we know many of them couldn't process this very well but the Lord was saying listen there's going to be a a short time of acute pain but then it's going to lead to to a constant joy Um, therefore you will now have sorrow but I will see you again your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name he will give you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So it's going to be sorrow. But the resurrection of Christ is going to bring joy into their lives. Like nothing else really can. We'll move on to the the last section because we're kind of running over in time. Verse 25, these things I have spoken unto you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. You know, I think he's speaking back, referring back to the whole of the upper room discourse at this point. In that day I will. you will ask in my name, and I will not say to you that I shall pray to the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from forth from God, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again I leave the world and go to the Father. Notice how much the Lord is speaking about the Father here. His disciples said unto him, See now you are speaking plainly because and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came from forth from God. Jesus answered, Do you now believe? you think that's the end of your struggles and Problems and issues, Do you not have you now grasped it all? Indeed the hour is coming, yes has come. You will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. See again another prophetic word, again confirming to them of his prescience, his knowledge beforehand. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, it's a big passage they've all done in one study, so my apologies uh, for running over in time here. Um, Just one or two other things I will mention. You'll notice in this little last section, I've summarised it as the Father's personal love and the Son's victory. Um, You'll see that he speaks about the Father's personal love for them because they have um, responded to the Son, they have loved the Son, that, that the Father exhibits his love to them now it tells us in John 3 16 that God so loved the world and we know that that God is the father however the emphasis lies on God on in his being in his essence and his greatness he is God is love and, and he shows that love to a world of sinners by providing salvation for that world of sinners for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that or so that whoever believes in him. In other words, God's exhibition of his love for a world was in providing the answer in his son to that world's need. Um, it's like throwing out the lifeline. He has shown it in a remarkable way and opened the door for anyone to trust in him coming in to come into the good of sins forgiven. But here the emphasis is on the Father. Why? Because he's speaking to those who have relationship with the Father. And the warmth of that love can be fully expressed. God loves the world, but sadly many people refuse that love and reject that love and don't enter into the good of that love. <clears throat> yes, he loves them creatorially. The <clears throat> you'll remember, uh, I think it's um, my, and certainly the Sermon on the Mount, when the Lord Jesus says that you are to be like your Father in heaven. Um, you're to be like your father in heaven who sends rain on the just and unjust, and so on. And and, and God shows his love. Um, they are to show their love, they're to love their enemies, and so on. So God shows his love, but God cannot fully demonstrate that love if there's a refusal to accept it. Love is a two-way thing as far as acceptance is concerned, and entering into the good. And enjoyment of it. So you, the Father, he loves you because you've loved me. And believed I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father. Come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. And so on. The Lord is telling them how central the Father is to everything that has taken place. But notice, he also speaks of his own victory at the end here. Be of good cheer, he says. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation. It will be there, surely, as I'm speaking to you, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, we're called upon not to live a life of overcoming in the sense of of getting to the top of our professions, of doing uh, great and wonderful things. We're not even called uh, upon to to miss out in fact the very opposite miss out on pain or suffering and sorrow because we're Christians rather what he's saying is you'll have these pressures you'll have this pain you'll face this sorrow and this circumstance but in me there is victory and really that's where uh, the Lord wants us to get to in our own life now just to sum up what we have said and with this I finish This was longer than I intended. But nobody will be surprised at that. Uh, I don't think. Really what he's done. The Lord has done is. Just before leaving them. Just before praying with them. And and, and going into the Garden of Gethsemane. Chapter 18. What he has done is. He's left them with a few large anchors. If you go back to your study. um, um, Handout. You'll notice it says this. What the Lord has done is focus again on deepening their understanding about the most important foundation points. That is what we hold on to in struggles. We hold on to the, the Son's dependable words. We hold on to the Spirit's essential work. We hold on to the Resurrection's lasting impact. This is just a phase that I'm in. One day it'll be joy. We hold on to the Father's personal love for us and the Son's ultimate victory and we will overcome the world. The Christian singer um, Aaron Schust, you might or might not know him, um, he has one particular album, it's called This Is What We Believe and it far excels in my opinion any other album that he does or anything else that he writes uh, of what I've listened to anything else. This is what we believe and what actually happened to Aaron was that he was uh, preparing to write those songs and he had a phone call from his wife to say that their son was diagnosed with a very rare uh, condition. Um, He had been rushed into hospital and the doctors were not sure they had I think seven options of treatment and one by one, those options were exhausted and none of them seemed to be working. Um, and it looked like it was a terminal, potentially terminal condition. And he was just saying and, and reflecting on it as he was writing his hymns. And he says, is, is perhaps songs would be a better word, he said to himself, what really matters? What really is essential to me in, in, in the in the flux of life when this pressure and sorrow has come upon me and he goes back to the fundamentals of what really matters this is what we believe we believe that you are God born to set your people free you uh, and so on and there's a several several other stanzas in that particular song and that whole album Uh, and and I'm just saying it as an example of this very thing in pressure what matters are the big things and the lord has just given to his own the big things and we need to grasp those big things those anchors of our faith that really matter so thank you for listening i trust it's been a blessing to you and sorry for um, it being longer than usual take care